Well, hello. We're so glad you've joined us for our fourth episode of the Genuine Mississippi Podcast. I'm your host, Mississippi Commissioner of Agriculture and Commerce, Andy Gibson. Here on the Genuine Mississippi Podcast, we explore the very best of everything genuinely grown, raised, crafted, and made right here in the Magnolia State. Today, the buzz at Genuine Mississippi is all about beauty and the bees. Yeah, bees, as in honeybees. We are excited to have some very special guests in our studio today. We'll kick off our show with Miss Sarah Contouris of Keep Mississippi Beautiful and the Wildflower Trails of Mississippi Project. Poplarville's own Leilani Rosenbaum of Shroomdom and Misbehaving Bees and Mississippi's bee expert, Dr. Jeff Harris of Mississippi State University Extension Service. Later in the show, we'll tell you about a forever way that you can do your part to keep Mississippi beautiful as well. First, welcome everyone. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Let's start with you, Sarah. Tell us a little bit about the Wildflower Trail and how this project got started. Well, Commissioner, um, I've been with Keep Mississippi Beautiful about 29 years, and uh, my counterparts in other state, the state leaders of with Keep America Beautiful, um, I get to spend quite a bit of time traveling the United States, and several of our states, uh, which one in particularly close to us, the state of Texas, has the blue bonnets, as we all know. And when I go to meetings, I finally just had had enough of seeing those photos <laughs> of those blue bonnets, especially with all the children and grandchildren. And at that time, I didn't have grandchildren, so I didn't understand. Hmm. But when I came back, I thought, why don't we have that beauty and also that beauty that will help everyone in our state? Yeah. So I began the research, and I'll be first to tell you, I knew nothing about wildflowers, not a whole lot about flowers either. Hmm. But... Um, in trying to seek out help, I realized that I needed to reach out to Mississippi State, and I will say I'm a rebel through and through, but uh, but <laughs> but those bulldogs, they came through for me, and uh, Dr. Brett Rushing was introduced to me, and the rest is history. Wow. Uh, without his expertise and the Coastal Plains Station in Newton, I probably would not know what I do know now. So we started our program five years ago, and it was slow to start, but I think we're moving along in the right direction, and that's how it started. Well, that's great. Uh, what do you think, um, you, you mentioned the blue bonnets, and you know it's, it's more than just beauty, although that's a really important part. In Texas, people travel to Texas to see those particular flowers. Absolutely. What are some of the other advantages of having a wildflower trail in Mississippi? Well, like you said, other than the economic development and the tourism that the Blue Bonnets have brought to Texas, and that's what we're working on in Mississippi, the beauty is one thing, and um, it it it's it brings our beauty not only to an individual area, but the entire state, and that goes with tourism. But also, it's important for our habitat, for our wildlife and insects, and the pollination. We all know that you've got to have pollination for yeah. food for a food source. And so we're hoping that this, this will bring full circle. Sure. Are there, uh, maybe Dr. Harris won't chime in in a minute, but 
are there Mississippi? Are there genuine Mississippi flowers that grow here that yes. uh, don't grow anywhere else? As no, well? <laughs> no. I don't. I don't know about that. Now I told you, don't go in too deep with the wildflowers. With <laughs> well, me. let's talk about some genuine Mississippi <laughs> flowers. How about that? But the we have a mix of flowers. Uh, when I started this project five years ago, in the first meeting I had with Dr. Brett Rushing, uh, with MSU. All I could see were the yellow masses of the Coryopsis. The mm. Coryopsis is our state flower. Okay. And a lot of people do not realize it. They really still think that the magnolias from the magnolia tree is our state flower. Right. But our flower is the Coryopsis. So all I could see were yellow fields everywhere of Coryopsis. And he had to knock me down a few notches mm. and tell me he didn't think that that would work. That in and explained to me, and I understood. So in our mix that we have, we have, uh, we do have the plains coreopsis. Okay. Uh, we have little blue stem. We have black eyed susans, and most people are familiar in our state right now with seeing the black eyed susans yeah. and the coreopsis. They don't realize that what they're seeing low to the ground is the coreopsis. Uh, the little blue stem, and also we have some native grasses in mm-hmm. there as well. Right. And the cosmos, you'll see some pops of color uh, in some of our areas that are planted with wildflowers. So you'll see some pops of color. They may be purple or hot pink, and those are cosmos. Mm-hmm. And not a lot of people realize that those those are native too. So wow. we have those as well. So it gives us a variation of color, which... Uh, you go to our website it's just beautiful it just it's it's breathtaking when you see a field of them yeah great dr harris i want to ask you um how do these flowers play into bees in mississippi and the importance of bees to have uh these particular types of flowers along the the roadways and the trails that sarah's working on well, it's kind of funny, Commissioner. A lot of people ask me, what can they do to, to help honeybees? And I really don't think that's the right focus. Um, because basically, honeybees, as long as there are people who make a living with them, they're going to be fine. <laughs> Beekeepers know how to keep their bees alive. They know how to get enough food for them. Uh, a beehive needs about 9,000 acres to cover to make enough food to, to put honey away. Wow. So when you plant wildflowers, though, what I want you to think about is our native bees. The I mean, I love bees. honeybees. Don't get me wrong. But wildflowers, honeybees will take advantage of anything you plant. Mm -hmm. But if you plant native wildflowers, it really helps our native insects, which need a lot more help. Uh, We have a lot of, we probably have maybe three or 400 species of bees. No one knows for sure. We have butterflies, moths, and other things that really benefit from these wildflowers. And honeybees will certainly take advantage. But when you're planting, don't think honeybees. Think about what I might be doing for our native insects, which are also very important. Okay, well, why don't you take that opportunity and tell our listeners what's the difference between the honeybees that are using commercial production and the native bees what what, what is the distinction well the first thing people need to understand is honeybees aren't even native to the united states they came here with our english settlers like jamestown colony and massachusetts colony they came over on ships and in fact the indians called them white man's fly um, Mm. because they were different from other flies they stung but (laughs) so they were actually brought here they're not native uh, and we probably have in this country, I don't know the exact number, maybe three to 4,000 native bee species. And most of our native bee species don't live in colonies. They, they're solitary bees. Okay. The exceptions are things like bumblebees and yeah. uh, some other smaller bees. 
So a lot of our native bees are more vulnerable because they don't live in colonies. They're sort of a female. She makes a nest. She raises some young. And if she gets killed by something or she doesn't have enough food, then it affects her a lot more than a honeybee colony, which honeybee colonies are huge. They are 60,000 bees. They take care. They work together. They find food. And they're better able to take care of themselves in some situations where there's lack of a lot of food because they fly two miles to get food. Mm-hmm. Or as a little solitary bee that's native here, may have to work a lot harder and she doesn't go as far. So wildflowers are more beneficial to our natives, really. So supporting this wildflower trail, we're supporting our genuine Mississippi bees. That's right, exactly. uh, The native bees. (laughs) And you say they're solitary. So where does a native bee live? Well, it depends on there's different families of bees, but some live, I mean, some make their nest in in, uh, old rotten wood that's kind of bleached or even twigs of woody stems of, of plants. Some nest in the ground. Uh, bumblebees, for example, can nest in many places, like in a hay bale or in a seat of an old truck that's in the junkyard. You know, they, yeah. any place they can find that shelters them. Yeah. But often they're in the ground or in tree tree limbs or um, uprooted trees and things like that. Great. Mm-hmm. So this is a great partnership. Uh, Mississippi State University and Keep Mississippi Beautiful, the Wildflower Trail Project. Tell us uh, how you support each other. Sarah, What uh, you, you went there. You made that outreach uh five years ago five years ago almost six years now uh partnerships i can't say enough about partnerships we all know in this with this group right here how much partnerships mean to each other you feed off each other uh but our partnership with uh usda i I have to say Mm -hmm. something for them uh without the usda uh we wouldn't have our partnership with mississippi state okay uh but our partnership with Mississippi State affords us the knowledge that that we didn't have. That mm-hmm. with the two person staff being a nonprofit, uh, like I said, I didn't know. I did not know. All I knew, I wanted the beauty there, and I didn't realize the next step or two that it would involve. But without Mississippi State's extension service, uh, without their partnership, we absolutely could not do. And without the Coastal Plains station where we're doing testing plots mm-hmm. and growing seed and and collecting our seed within our state because the ultimate goal is to produce our own wildflower seed in our state sure and uh, you're so you have the test plots you're growing the seed producing your own seed for future propagation and uh, where are you planting these trails or how, how how does that program work okay with our grant we're able to afford to give seed to anyone in the state not just our keep mississippi beautiful certified affiliates we are offering that seed to uh, to anyone we our first uh, site five years ago was on highway 51 in kapai county in crystal springs i'm actually from kapai county so it was it was a good fit for home, me. Home sweet home. Yeah. And Mayor Sally Garland uh, heard about this, and and I, after talking to her, she said, "I want to be your first site." Wow. And it was wonderful. Since at Gallman, we have the the station there, the MSU station there, mm-hmm. so it was a perfect fit for us. Uh, we planted that site on 27 and 51, and that was our first site. At the same time, Commissioner, we planted a site in Simpson County, mm-hmm. uh, and it was beautiful on 49. That was our second site. We actually did those almost at the same time. I remember it. And uh, it was absolutely beautiful. And now we have sites, uh, Clinton, 
outside of Clinton. Mayor Fisher was very much uh, in favor and wanted this desperately after he became mayor. Um, he loves wildflowers. So we have a site. We have a couple of sites in Clinton, and actually we're working with the elementary schools there to have a about a three-acre site actually in front of the school. Uh, we have a site off of I-55 in Ridgeland at the Ridgeland exit. Mayor McGee was uh, so excited, and he wanted a site there, and that's right off of the exit. It's about a three-acre lot. And one reason that uh, the mayor wanted it there, because there is an elementary school across the street, and he said, what a better fit than to bring education for these children. So he really wanted that site. We have a site as of last year in the northern part of the state, I-55 north around South Haven. We have sites that are being uh, prepped right now in Montgomery County. We also have a site in Columbia and Marion County. We have a beautiful site that was planted in some gardens at the reservoir with our Keep Res Beautiful program, too. I'm try- I'm, I know I'm forgetting some sites. You, you cover the whole state. Well, we've tried to. Uh, we have <laughs> it in Cleveland and Clarksdale. We have a path, a bicycle path in Cleveland. Okay. Uh, in Clarksdale, they are working uh, also. They have a site. So um, it's a little slower than I had originally hoped, but I realized that, it, that it's, you know, it'll be worth it in the long run. Yeah. Well, we're going to get to how people can sign up and, and make these requests. Absolutely. We hope so. And we love being a part of Genuine Mississippi yeah. to do this. That's right. Let's, let's talk a little more about the agriculture reason why this is important. Dr. Harris, these bees, you know, my daddy always taught us uh, no bees, no honey, no work, no money. <laughs> bees, are, bees are doing work every day that we don't even see or notice in terms of pollination and uh, really making uh, Mississippi agriculture strong in so many different varieties. So talk to us a little bit about why that's important. Okay, I guess I'll step back and, and sort of throw some money values at you just to give you an idea how important across the United States yeah. pollination service by bees is. So, for example, um, um, the annual value of commodities that are, need a pollinator in the United States that are grown and sold is about $82 billion. It might be a little higher. My numbers might be a little old, but about $82 billion. About $19 billion of that comes from honeybee pollination alone. Wow. And then another $10 billion comes from native bees. Wow. So together, native bees and honeybees account for about the third of the value of many of the crops that are grown in this country and sold, you know, your apples, your almonds, and things like that. Amazing. Um, so that's the economic value to agriculture. Now, what's interesting is Mississippi is a state where our major agricultural commodities, uh, pine trees is yeah. one, but then cotton, soybean, rice, and those kind of plants, they don't need a pollinator. <laughs> but that that said, we do have blueberry growers. We have uh, in the in, in the Hattiesburg area, for mm-hmm. example, in Southward, we have watermelon growers, and we also have some fruit growers that blackberries and and other fruits of the Northeast that really do depend on native bees as well as honeybees to help pollinate their blueberries, for example, or their blackberries. Absolutely. And there's actually a nice native bee. I mean. Honeybees in, in, are good. They help with blueberry pollination, but there are some bees that are better, some bumblebees. Mm. And then there's a really wonderful bee that grows up in the Hattiesburg area called the Southeastern Blueberry Bee, and it's a very good pollinator of blueberries. And so there, there's a case where it, you might live in an area in Hattiesburg where there's a native bee helping you with your blueberries, and then a lot of blueberry growers will bring in honeybees. That way they yeah. make sure they, their blueberries are pollinated. Wow. So that's What's interesting is the major driver of honeybees in the United States has nothing to do with beekeeping. Hmm. It's one crop. It's the almonds grown in California. 
Wow. There's almost a million acres of almonds grown in the Central Valley of California, and they absolutely cannot make an almond unless they cross the compatible varieties. Hmm. And there's no it, th- that part of the California that where they do all the farming was meant to be a desert. There's no native pollinators there that can do the job. Wow. So they bring in, last year they brought in about 1.8 million colonies of honeybees to pollinate just the almonds. Hmm. And to give you a perspective, there's only about 2.8 million colonies of bees managed by beekeepers in the United States. Wow. So, so importing all these bees yes, from around the country. Just to pollinate that crop. <laughs> That's why it's a $4 billion crop. So yeah. it's, it's quite impressive. Wow. Yeah. And I heard you say bumblebees are doing some pollination. Oh, yes. There's good pollinators as well. So for those who may have heard, you know, that they don't do that. I, I, I was one of those. I was taught bumblebees as a boy. Uh, my folks just didn't know they were they were pollinators, but they do. They, they are uh, excellent pollinators. They're actually, uh, in some situations, one bumblebee is equivalent to 100 honeybees. Wow. Uh, because there's certain flowers honeybees can't reach very well, and a bumblebee is better at it. Uh, and then they do what's called buzz pollination. Um, bees like bumblebees and the southeastern blueberry bee, they do a funny thing. They grab the flower a certain way with their mandible, and then they vibrate their wings, mm-hmm. and it shakes the pollen off. And honeybees can't do that. Gotcha. So bumblebees are actually worth about 100 honeybees in some situations, some crops. So like blueberries is one of them. Gotcha. A bumblebee is much more efficient on a, a, on a blueberry plant than a honeybee is. Okay, so what types of our native bees are going to like these wildflowers that Sarah is putting all over the state of Mississippi? Probably anything that eats nectar and pollen, because <laughs> okay. here's the thing. Even honeybees, they all need a balanced diet. They're kind of like us. You can't just eat cheeseburgers. Mm. you got <laughs> you got to have <laughs> yeah. pollen and nectar from many different flowers. So usually in these flower mixes she was talking about, she's talking about a bunch of native dif- different native flowers. They all, all have du- different nutrients in their pollen, mm-hmm. and bees generally collect from all of them, and therefore they get a more balanced diet. And it's been shown that honeybees, for example, are much healthier. Their immune systems are much stronger when they're feeding on polyfloral diets, not just force them. If you force honeybees just to go into one plant like canola or corn, uh, it's not very nutritious. But if they're in a polyfloral environment like a wildflower patch or a long stretch of wildflowers growing along a power line cut, they're much healthier. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, let me ask you, Sarah, uh, how can our folks around the state uh, help to keep the wildflower trails thriving? How can they get involved? Where can they get more information? Well, for one thing, they now that we're a member of Junior Mississippi. Welcome. <laughs> well, they can see us there. But uh, they can go to mswildflowers.org and get any information. And they can also call our office, which is 601-853-4210. We are wanting to give wildflower seeds to anyone of course that wants to plant them and and i want them to know that it's 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 not easy but we like it that way yeah you know we want it that way (laughs) yeah Uh, we want them to work uh hard to to prep the ground correctly Mm. um i know dr harris was at our field day uh, just a couple of weeks ago and Dr. Rushing did an excellent job of, of showing the participants there and talking about the correct way of planting the wildflowers. But uh, we have a on our website, we've got instructions and, and things that, that kind of give a really good overall uh, description 
of how to go about prepping your ground and your land yeah, uh, that you want to do. But we would love to we would love to see our farmers um, mm-hmm. contact us and yeah. and let us help provide them with their seed. The seed is is the the biggest cost sure. of it, and um, so we're wanting to do this. We're um, excited that we've had some farmers that have reached out to us and are doing it. Um, I grew up from a farming family in Kapai County, and not even thinking about it, I remembered that my grandparents mm. had wildflowers planted around the fields. Yeah. And now I look back, and I thought, you know, all I could see wanted to do was cut them. For the beauty of the wildflowers, mm-hmm. and of course, I'd bring them in, and you know, they, wildflowers don't last a whole a long time. Cut some of them do, but mm-hmm. majority of them don't. And um, but I realize now that my grandparents were really pretty smart. Yes, you know? they were. They were being very wise with they the use were. of their land. They were. Well, you know, so I guess I would emphasize anybody can go to genuineMS.com, look up the uh, Keep Mississippi Beautiful Wildflower Trail project and uh, become a part of that and it's not just for roads and highways it's for Absolutely our farmers not. it's in the country wherever we want to, uh, wherever we folks can want put to them plant. in flower pots we have <laughs> i've had a lady that came by and she made me believe that she had land that she was going to plant them and then she told me when she left she said i want i want to send you a photo of my 50 flower pots <laughs> and i thought okay i thought those were going in the ground but i was excited that she was putting them in flower pots but uh, we'll We'll put them anywhere. Yeah, know. great, great. Well, I want to thank you, Sarah, and thank you, Dr. Harris, for your great uh, uh, input today. Anything else you want to add about bees or wildflowers? I'll just say um, my job is sort of twofold. I, I talk about general pollination like we are today, but my real job is to help our beekeepers who do make a living off of farming honeybees, and and many of them are becoming uh, members of Jane Mississippi because right. they also know that's a way to get their product, which is mostly honey and wax-based products, yeah. um, out there and known. And so I'm, I'm glad I encourage beekeepers who who want a, a wider market to to use Jane Mississippi. And then just so you you as an, uh, a consumer understand, bees are just like any other livestock. they got all kinds of diseases and problems and issues. And that's really what my job is, is to help yeah. beekeepers with their diseases and problems and try and keep their bees as healthy as possible. And to find out more information about honeybees, you can go to your county extension office mm-hmm. and contact the agents, or you can come directly to our blog site at MSU Cares Honeybees Great. And, uh, to find out more about us. Thank you for the great work you're doing. And thank you both. And, you know, on that note, it's a great segue to our next guest. We have with us here another genuine Mississippi member, Poplarville's own Leilani Rosenbaum of Shroomdom and Misbehaving Bees. Welcome, Leilani. Good afternoon, Commissioner. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming. I am Sarah Contouris with Keep Mississippi Beautiful and Wildflower Trails of Mississippi. I am Jeff Harris with Mississippi State Extension Service. I am Leilani Rosenbaum of Shroomdom, Inc. and Misbehaving Bees. And I am Genuine Mississippi. And I am Genuine Mississippi. And I am Genuine Mississippi. Uh, You've been a member of the Genuine Mississippi program for quite some time as well, and we want to thank you for that. You've got a very unique farm operation and i want you to tell us about that let's talk about these misbehaving bees how did you <laughs> how did you get started and and how is your operation different from maybe other uh beekeeping operations 
Well, we began actually as a wild mushroom farm and moved into sustainable ag, and we were told, you're doing everything else, why not keep honeybees? Mm -hmm. So I said, well, why not keep honeybees? Not that I knew what I was doing. Luckily, I contacted um, Dr. Um, Harris, and he sent me several books, several publications, and he just told me, be sure, you know, where to place the bees, different things like that. So then when I called him and told him my site prep and all, he said I was going to have one of the most beautiful apiaries mm -hmm. in the state. Yeah. And I'm glad to say that we, we really do. We have a unique place. We started off in Langstroth, and then I was reading about Ajay Hives from Slovenia. Okay, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> you lost me there. Well, we've talked about this before, but for our listeners out there, what what is the difference between that type of hive and the type of hive we're used to seeing, which is a box, you know, I've, uh, I've got a hive at my house. Uh, and by the way, my wife, Leslie, plants wildflowers every spring. I should add that, too, to help the bees. But uh, we have a hive, a box hive. Is that, and that What type is that called? That's a Langstraw. That's a Langstraw. And now you've gone to what type? To an Ajay hive. That's the initials of the original beekeeper from Slovenia, and I won't be able to pronounce his name so okay. i won't ij it's good enough yeah <laughs> and how, what does it look like how is it different well your langstroth box when you go to lift a, a honey super it might be about 80 pounds mm -hmm. then they're just kind of thrown out by the wood wood line and i decided right away i didn't want my bees to be kept like that so when i read this these hives actually are inside a house mm -hmm. and the beekeeper works inside of a house themselves and when you go in, it's like opening your kitchen cabinet and taking a plate off of a, you just pull it straight out. So it's easy for the beekeeper. I think it's the oldest written record of beekeeping, even though I'm sure that the Egyptians and Africans had always kept bees, but I don't think they had written records. Mm. And it just made sense to me as we were going to get older, you know, and, and it was just, it was beautiful. I mean, you'd so, have to see the house. <laughs> so it's like a miniature house. Mm -hmm. how, how tall? Mm, tall enough that we have a bed above the hives and you can sleep with the bees and wake up bedazzled. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Put that on my list of things to do. I know. Now, we, we all want to come. <laughs> so, yeah, eight feet tall, uh, mm, 10 feet tall? Maybe about 12 because I have to climb on the okay. on the counter and then stand on Tony's shoulders to get in the bed. Okay. So, <laughs> so then the, the bees are where in this They're hive? underneath. There's 10. I actually shipped over 10 hives from Slovenia, unknowing that we had to put them together, unknowing that we had to wire frames. Mm. And that's where Mississippi State Extension came in. I called, and Dr. Eddie Smith, our extension guy, mm -hmm. told us, you know we have a Slovenia beekeeper here at the USDA office. Huh. And Dr. Aless was here. He actually worked with Dr. Harris, I believe, at LSU also. And he came and he taught us how to set up the hives, how to take care of the bees. And we went and stayed with him last year in Slovenia for two weeks. Wow, that's amazing. So, so you've got the bees, you've got the honey. Uh, what are some uh, benefits of uh, Dr. Harris? You want to comment on this very unique? Is anybody else doing this that we know of, the, this type of beekeeper? I don't know too many people in America, but certainly it's the standard in Slovenia. So a good friend of mine is Dr. Janko Bozic, and then I, I of course, know Dr. Alesh Gregor. Uh, that's their standard way of keeping bees. It's okay. an old old style of beekeeping. Like she said, it's pretty old. Yeah. Um, and I saw it in Russia a couple times. 
Um, it's just a different style. And, and part of the reason the bed's there is a lot of the beekeepers were living with their bees to protect their property. Mm-hmm. This was their income. Yes. And they would, some of these houses are portable. You could hook them up and, and transport them. And they'd go to migrate with where the bloom was, let's say a big, a big meadow of blooming flowers they'd go and then they'd sleep in their bed to protect their bees from thieves yeah. and things like that uh, yeah. so that's one of the reasons it developed that way protecting yeah. their business protecting yep. their livelihood mm-hmm. interesting and so you sell honey on the farm we, we sell honey we collect pollen also we have a little pollen trap but we move it around when the pollen's really really heavy in the air we only put it you know on the hives maybe three days so you don't take too much mm-hmm. you know from the bees they have to have every thing they can get so and we sell um comb honey okay and what are the benefits of honey you know i know there's been a lot written about it over the years but from as a farmer what what do you tell folks uh, in terms of buying local honey why buy local honey Local honey, because if you have any type of allergies, you need to be getting the bits of pollen that's left in it that you're having your allergies to. You're not going to get it from a different area. Um, You can use it on your skin. I think there are actual beekeepers now raising honeybees and strictly putting honey into bandages that go to burn units now because it has natural peroxide in it. So when it gets laid on in it... um, I believe they're using it for the lower extremities of diabetic sores that they can't get to heal, but because it has a lot of antimicrobial properties, you have to understand bees really are tree dwellers. Trees are extremely important to bees, mm-hmm. and most people don't realize that we all think flowers, mm-hmm. but the trees are extremely important. They have to collect propolis and things like that from it, and water is very important. Yeah. I remember calling Dr. Harris one day, and I said, every time we go bicycle riding in the woods, the bees just like they wait for us to come up on our bicycles and me to start washing them i said do you think they're getting something from the soil you know all the soil we're bringing up and probably he said probably the minerals mm-hmm. I, ca- I call him a lot he's yeah. <laughs> no bees That's do good. love salt water they're kind of like us they sometimes will crave things that aren't good for them yeah they love salt water pools even though salt's really not there's just like salt's not good in our diets that it's explains not good for them, but they love salt okay. got it <laughs> Well, that is interesting. Well, what else do you sell on your farm, uh, Leilani? We um, cultivate gourmet mushrooms. Okay. So about 24 types. They go down to the um, chefs of the Gulf Coast. And what happens on the farm is if we don't sell them within three days, they go into the drying process. So we sell dried mushrooms, and then we take it a step further when we make fairy dust. That's a trademark to shroomdom. Mm. We have a granddaughter who refuses to eat mushrooms, so we trick her. (laughs) <laughs> and it's and it's great because you can use it in place of salt and pepper and other seasonings. It's just a dust of a dried mushroom. Dust. One ingredient. Everything from the farm is one ingredient the way nature intended. We we put absolutely nothing in our products. Our bees are never fed sugar. We don't treat our bees for disease. Mm. Um, we are going to be putting in a lot of Russian bees, hoping that it's true that they are much more hygienic and will mm. remove the varroa mites and stuff. We just figure they're going to have to learn to get strong. Yeah. And we figure the strong hives that make it, we're hoping that we get more strong bees. Um, I kind of don't follow a lot of the rules. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> You know, because I call Dr. Harris and I'll... That's what I guess I like about you and Dr. Eddie. I can ask them questions, and but if I still go about it and do my way or go, like, yeah. say, to an organic bee school or something... They're still always there to take my phone calls, guide me, and 
if I've made a oops, let's see how we can. Yeah. Well, our job is to serve the client. So <laughs> if, if she wants to raise her bees organically, that's that's her choice. That's and right. so our, our job is to do the best we can to help her do that. Yeah. So. Well, great. Well, uh, what is, how, how has it been for you as a genuine Mississippi uh, member, Leilani, and how has this brand helped your efforts uh, locally and in your other uh, areas you operate? I like it because it puts authenticity behind the entire state of Mississippi yeah. because it's going to be more of a multiplier and it's going, like in my county, we have the most unique farms in the county of Pearl River County. We really do. And it just, you can showcase not just yourself, but everyone because, you know, honey's not going to make a meal. Mushrooms are not going to make a meal. Right. You're going to want to have a nice tea from JD Farms, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. or some Country Girl Creamery Milk. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just like it because it pulls everybody together. Great. So. Strength and diversity. And yes. It applies to a meal and a lot of other things in life. Well, I want to thank you for being a part of our program and each one of you, Dr. Harris and Sarah. Thank you so much. I truly appreciate your time to speak with us today. And I believe that's about all the time we've got. I want to thank our listeners out there. And if you're looking for a way that you can help keep Mississippi beautiful, Of course, contact Sarah on the Wildflower Trail Project, but there's another way. You can also sign up through our Avenue of Magnolias program that we offer through your Mississippi Department of Agriculture and Commerce. For a $25 contribution, you can plant a magnolia tree, have it planted at a strategic location leading into the state, and uh, participating in this program is a way to recognize someone or to honor his or her memory and You just make the contribution and we'll make sure the trees get planted. Our office actually sends an acknowledgement to that special person that you want to recognize or the family of a loved one that's passed away so that you you are making them aware and they know about your contribution. You can find out more information on the Avenue of Magnolias program at our website mdac.ms.gov. And remember, you can find our podcast at genuinems.com forward slash podcast and become members at genuinems.com forward slash membership if you want to find out more about keep mississippi beautiful's wildflower trail project and shroomdom and those misbehaving bees go to genuinems.com where you'll find lots of other mississippi grown raised crafted and made products thank you very much Be sure to join us for our next Genuine Mississippi podcast, which we're calling Wood at Work. Money may not grow on trees, but trees are big business in Mississippi, with forestry being our second largest ag sector with a value of $1.25 billion annually. In this upcoming episode, we'll be talking to some Genuine Mississippi members that are making great strides in this diverse industry. Genuine Mississippi member Thomason Company, owned by Pat Thomason in Philadelphia, makes a variety of wood products like utility poles from trees grown right here in Mississippi, and they're shipped around the world. We'll sit a spell with Greg Harkins from Canton, who makes handcrafted rocking chairs fit for presidents. And Eric Chambers with Chambers Deliminators in Ackerman will tell us how his genuine Mississippi-made equipment is used in the pulpwood industry. Thank you for joining us. And as always, I'm Andy Gibson, and I am Genuine Mississippi. This podcast is genuinely Mississippi-grown, raised, crafted, and made by MWB Studios. 